first of all say thank you um, to Pastor Roy for allowing me to speak this morning on this, his last week of rest time. And uh, I want to say thank you to our other ministers who have been sharing the word with us. I appreciate that. And I am blessed to be able to come before you this morning and share what the Lord has put on my heart for us today. Because God is in this place. And when God is in the place, look out, right? Amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I'll give you a minute to get there. I love to hear the rustling of pages in a Bible. It's always my favorite thing as a Bible teacher to hear. Matthew chapter 6. Now, we're going to share right from some of the words of Jesus Christ himself as he spoke to his disciples. And let me refresh your memory because I know that this message goes not only to this congregation, but out on the Internet and various and sundry places. So for those of you who are listening, when I say that we are sharing the words of Jesus Christ, let me make sure you understand we mean the real Jesus. We mean the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, who came and died on the cross and rose again, that we might be saved. We're talking about the Jesus who said, I am the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And nobody gets to God except by Him. Now, why do I say that? Because the August 24th and 31st issue of Newsweek magazine in the religion section had a nice little article in the back by Lisa Miller that surprisingly said, we're all Hindus now. And the point of her article was this. Research by a 2008 Pew Forum survey says that nearly 65% of Americans today say that you can get to God through the religion or worldview of your choice. And so Lisa Miller saying, we're in effect all Hindus now because a good Hindu believes you can get to God through Jesus, but they also believe you can get to God through the Koran, you can get to God through good practice of yoga. And when we at CFC talk about Jesus, we're not talking about a false Jesus. We're talking about the one who said, I'm the only way, truth, and life. And what I want to say, I want to write an article uh, to kind of combat the one that was in there. Instead of we're all Hindus now, I'd like to title one, we're all building jumpers now. How ludicrous it would be for us to sit in this room and deny the law of gravity. It would be absolutely ludicrous for us to go jump off buildings expecting somehow that we can defy the law of gravity, which is a natural law created by a supernatural God. And if he created a natural law that can be so depended upon... What do you think his supernatural law is like, which says, I am the only way? You can't defy the law of gravity, and you can't go against the one true God. Jesus Christ this morning, this is the Jesus that I'm talking about. I love that. That's what the kids say. Now, that's what I'm talking about. That's the Jesus I'm talking about when we share his words in Matthew chapter 6. So let's keep that as our framework, and we're going to pick it up. In Matthew chapter 6, I guess I should turn there myself, verse 16, Matthew 6, 16. Jesus said, moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Now, what Jesus is saying here is he is in effect 
uh, giving us a good definition for a hypocrite. A hypocrite is a person who does something of wrong motivation. Now, what is wrong motivation? Any motivation that is other than the glorification and lifting up of God Almighty and His plan. Anytime we do anything, whether we pray, whether we fast, whether we give, whether we do good, whether we teach, whether we preach, anytime we do it of a motivation other than that to lift up God and His plan, we're in trouble. Now, Jesus is talking to Christians here. He's talking to His disciples. So this shouldn't fall on deaf ears. This is for me. Sometimes I think we as Christians need to step back and seriously look at the details of God's Word. Jesus doesn't waste His time telling us things. He must know that we have a proclivity or a tendency to be like the hypocrites and to do things to be seen of people, to be thought well of. That is ridiculous. He says, here's the deal. When you do that, when you purposely do something to be seen of men. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm obviously up in front of you speaking today. And many people preach God's word. And and the choir sings. And people lead. And they're seen of men. But it depends on what your goal is when you're seen of men. He said they purposely make themselves appear to be fasting. Now, look at what Jesus said. Verily I say unto you. They have their reward. And it's pitiful to think that their reward would be somebody stands back and says, Wow, what a good person. They're fasting. That's it. It's over. It's done. You're never going to see another result, another reward for what you've done. And how ludicrous it is. And we live our lives. I know this because I do it. So much of it. Wondering what people think of us. Wanting them to think better of us. Who cares what people think if God knows who you are? Amen? He said, don't be as the hypocrite. Don't do things so that people will see you. That's what a hypocrite is. And then, surprisingly, Jesus says in verse 17, But thou, when thou fast, anoint thy head and wash thy face. So those of you who don't wash your face every day, when you do, will know that what you're actually doing is fasting. Okay, so purposely go out of your way to look good when you're fasting. Why? That thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father, which is in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward you openly. Now here's a ticket. Some people do things openly and get no reward. Jesus said, you do, see, you do things secretly, and buddy, you're getting a reward someday. He says, you shall be rewarded by your Father who sees what is done in secret. Now let's talk about something just slightly disconcerting. And it should be, because I am not perfect. And I need Jesus to tell me every day, bring me back to square one. Take me back to the simple truths. Because if I don't go there, I'm not going to be where I ought to be. So I want to take you for a minute to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10. Jeremiah 17, verse 10. Speaking of God who sees what is done in secret. In this scripture, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins. 
That means like the kidneys, the guts. I try the guts of a man or a woman to give to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. But notice something. God doesn't give according to the fruit until he's first tried the heart. The fruit doesn't matter if the heart's wrong. Sorry. There's no reward for that. God says, I get down. Now, this is really, this is just amazing. And I think of this all the time. I pace through my house. I pray, God, help me because you see this. Look, God gets down past the physical that you can see. He, he's, like, he's like telescoping in on you. He gets down past the physical. He gets down past the microscopic. He gets down past the atomic structures. And he gets right into the dividing of soul and spirit. He gets down into us where nobody else sees. God is infinite. And he's able to search out those places that nobody else knows. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. But it hurts. Because God is here this morning to speak to us and to remind us, I try the heart. Listen. I can fool a lot of people. Sorry, English teachers in the room, but I ain't ever fooling God. I want to say that again. I have fooled and I can fool. Amen? How many of you have been there? I have fooled and I can fool a lot of people, but I'm never fooling God. He gets down to the heart of me. He sees me where nobody else can. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says to us that God gets down there because every creature, every part of creation is laid open and made bare, check this out, before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. And that's the part a lot of people forget of that verse. We have to do something with Him. We've got to reckon with Him. Listen, you can hide from people and you can... What's the Bible say? The heart is deceptive above all things. You can hide from yourself. But you have to reckon with God. That's scary stuff. And I love that part of God's Word. It's convicting to me. God has caught me up on so many things. But you know what? It's freeing. When you can come to the same Jesus who said it, He said it to give us hope. He said it to guide us on the right path. He said it that we might go to Him and repent to that Jesus who is the only life, the only way, the only truth. You know, I love that Jesus said that I am the life. He didn't say, I'm one of the lives. I am the life. Do you know what that would mean? Anybody without Jesus is dead. You're dead without Jesus. Just so you know. This morning you are dead without Jesus. He said, I am the only life there is. And when a man or woman is separate from me, they are dead. I am the life. He said, I am the truth. Of course he's the truth. He created all of reality. He knows how it operates. He knows the truth of every situation, the truth of every reality. And he said, by the way, I love this. I am the way. You know, when his disciples were standing in front of him, he didn't look at them and say, well, I'm the guy who has the list that shows you how to get there. I'm the one that you come to and I'll talk you through the way to find God. 
No, he stood incarnate in the flesh in front of his disciples, a person, and he said, I am the way. The only way to God is through the God-man, Jesus Christ. He gets down to the heart of us. And I hope you haven't missed that point. And I hope this morning what you allow God to do is to creep into those places. Because you know what? When you walk without allowing God to creep into those places, you carry a heavy, heavy burden. You carry a heavy, heavy burden. Don't just allow Him to cover the sins that people are aware of in your life. Sin is sin. He's got to reach in. And I could just picture like His blood just going down into those cracks and crevices of my heart and my intentions. He's got to deal with the sins that nobody can see. And He can do it. Amen? He can do it. Let's move on. We left off at verse 18. Now, this has to be, these next two verses have to be two of my favorite verses in the Bible. Verse 19. We've heard this quoted so often, and I don't even know if we understand what it means. He said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Where moth and rust do corrupt and where thieves can break through and steal. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on the earth. Now, why did Jesus say to us that we shouldn't try to spend the bulk of our affection, energy, time, and money laying up for ourselves treasures on the earth? I have a simple answer for you. The treasures of the earth are temporary and subject to destruction. Temporary and subject to destruction. He has your best interest in mind. Jesus says, don't you bother wasting your time. But it's bigger than that. It's not just a waste of your time. It's actually disobedience to spend your energy and your affection and your time trying to have what everybody else has, what the culture says you have to have. You need to spend your time and your energy and your affection seeking after the things of God. All right? He said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, I love Jesus for many reasons. But one is that he's so scientific when people don't even realize it. I mean, of course he's the, he's the scientist because he made it all, right? He's so scientific. He says, you know, in case you're doubting what I'm saying, my friends, let me nail this down for you, okay? Moths can corrupt, can eat holes in your clothing. Now, I find it interesting that moths only really eat away at clothing that have been in the closet for a long time because you have too much anyway. But, but, check this out. It's not the adult moth that eats the clothing. It's the little tiny, half-inch, milky-white larvae, little worm-like larvae, that nest on those clothes and begin to eat holes in the wool and in the silk, in the rugs. Okay? A half-inch, yucky-looking worm can eat away at the stuff I give my life away for? How pitiful. It's as if Jesus was trying to say to us, what is wrong with you? You are spending too much of your affection and too much of your time looking for the wrong stuff. And a little tiny worm can eat it away. That's unbelievable to me. He said, rust can corrupt it. 
We have to have so many cars and such a big house and so many things so we have what other people have. And our kids have to have all the gadgets all the other kids have, no matter what the cost to our spiritual health. Rust can corrupt it. You know, rust is just an oxidation process. It happens at a level that you can't even see. It's a molecular change. At a level that we can't even see, this can eat away iron, steel, and corrode precious metals. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1 that your faith is of greater worth than gold. Because even gold, though it's tried by fire, perishes. Seriously, let me pause for a minute. Let's think about this. What is the goal of our lives? What is it for? He said, don't waste your time storing up treasures on this earth. Moth, insects, molecules can corrupt this stuff. And thieves, man's inhumanity to man, sinful people can come in and take the stuff from you. Why? Why are we in this place? Why is everything so temporary and subject to destruction? Well, that's the good part, and I'm glad you asked. Because we are in the middle. We are in the middle of the story of redemption. That's why. This is, this is exciting. We are in the middle of the story of redemption. Ever since Adam and Eve believed the damnable lie... That God did not have their best interest in mind. Now check it out. That somebody, that God would not have their best interest in mind and was trying to withhold something from them that he shouldn't. That's what they believed. They believed that lie. Ever since they believed that lie and chose to rebel against the God, the creator of reality, the only one who could ever rightly define the parameters in the first place, ever since they believed that lie... We are cursed by sin. And we rebel against God. And we fight the things of God. And I praise His name this morning that in 2009, right here in Jeanette, Pennsylvania, we're in the middle of the story of redemption. See, the last chapter's not been written yet. Actually, it's been written, but we haven't seen it come to reality yet. The last chapter's not yet taken place. That's why things here are temporary and subject to destruction. Because we're living in the middle of this wonderful story. We're living in the time where God's Holy Spirit comes down and speaks to men and women and tries to pluck them out of that temporary thinking and that sinful nature. God's Holy Spirit is in this room this morning trying to grab a hold of men and women and say, live for what matters. Live for what lasts. Don't lay up treasures on earth. We're living in the exciting time. This is the time where the Holy Spirit is here to reach us, to grab hold of us, to take us to the last chapter. There is a last chapter. (laughs) You know I love to talk about it. There is a last chapter. That's why, now check this out, for as often as I've heard Matthew 6.19 quoted, I rarely hear people talk about the true reality of 6.20. Most of the time when people talk about it, it's kind of like, yeah, lay up treasures in heaven. Isn't that nice? 
Why is it that when we talk about heaven, we get in fairy tale mode? It's, it's another damnable lie. Heaven is real. This is what Jesus said. He said, now I love this because you check it out in your own Bible. He used an exact parallel to 619 when he spoke 620. And I think what he was trying to say to us was, you know what I'm talking about when I talk about the very real stuff that can be corrupted by moths and rust, right? You know what I'm talking about when I talk about the very real and tangible stuff that thieves can take. Well, so Jesus used the same words in the next verse to try to get through to us. Heaven and its contents are real. Okay? This is not fairy tale land. I'm talking especially to our teenagers and our young people. Because I'll tell you what, I also read most recently in Newsweek, there's a little article in the back called Heaven Can Wait. And this man had a teenager die or a young child die. And I remember his last words were, I would give anything for one hug. I would trade all of this. And he used some phrase like, uh, disembodied, floating around spirit type heaven that these people talk about. No, 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 no. That's not our heaven. Here's what Jesus said in 620. He said, now don't lay up treasures on earth. But he said, do lay up for yourselves. Now wait, this is present tense active. Right now, as I'm standing in front of you, we can be actively building up a treasure. Now you don't see my treasure because Peter said it's reserved for me in heaven. But is it real? It's real. Listen to what he said. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth, what did he say? Nor rust doth corrupt and thieves cannot break in and steal. Now Jesus wouldn't waste his words talking about moths and rust and thieves if there wasn't something there. Buddy, there's something there. He said, when you get to heaven, there's going to be no second law of thermodynamics. No sin curse. No eating away by moths. No corruption. No dying. And one of Jesus' closest friends, the guy that I love, because just last night my family was talking about, I'm just crazy, they think. And I think it was my mom was saying, Shelly's just so, she was saying somebody else was just so even-keeled, calm. My mom said, Shelly's just, you know, passionate. Okay, I love Peter. He corroborates Jesus' words. This is an exact tie. Matthew 6.20, you go to 1 Peter 1.4. Here's what Peter said about our inheritance in heaven. He said it is incorruptible, undefiled, and fadeth not away. Now, I looked up the Greek about those words just to make sure I wasn't making up something that I wanted to hear. Right? You ever do that? Sometimes I read the Bible and it's so good. It's so awesome. I'm like, am I making this up? No, this is real. I read the Greek and here's what it means. When the Bible says incorruptible, it means exactly what it says. Not subject to decay or disintegration. No dentists in heaven. Well, the dentists will be there, but the cavities won't, okay? No cavities in heaven, literally. No decay. Nothing is able to be corrupted or disintegrated. Now, let's get serious here. No corruption of the cells in their structure. 
No cancer. No corruption of the pancreas. No diabetes. No corruption of any kind in the body or in the stuff of heaven to which God is giving us. Not able to be destroyed. Undefiled. In the Greek here, what this means is not not able to be deformed or debased or misused. How many people in this world have been abused and misused? How many things that God has blessed us with, like computers and substances of the earth, have we debased? They are meant by God to be beautiful in their own right, but we have debased them, deformed them, misused them. Isn't this amazing? In heaven, nothing can be misused, debased, deformed. This is unbelievable. And he says that fadeth not away. I love to grow petunias around my house in the summer, like the bright purple ones, deep purple and it's interesting because with petunias, you know, you have to pull off the blossoms as they die or else they look pretty bad. Picture that. Nothing fades away. And to those of you who need to hear this this morning, because there always are people who do, that means people. Nobody dies in heaven. Nobody gets separated from the ones they love in heaven. Peter said, incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away. Jesus said, moth and rust cannot corrupt, thieves cannot break through and steal. And then he leads right into verse 21. For where your treasure is, check this out, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can't deny it. You can say whatever you want to say to people, but wherever you're spending the minutes of your day and the affection of your life building treasure, that's where your heart is. You remember when it said God sees what's done in secret? I said to my teachers just last week, you know, the academy, it's, it's growing little by little, but for right now our teachers are vastly underpaid. And I said to them just last week, to those of you who are here because you're called by God to minister Jesus Christ to these kids, When you walk through the mall and you can't buy what other people can buy and it pains your heart, Jesus sees that. You have a reward waiting for you. And I can't tell you the number of people older than myself, I'll say it gently, who come to me and say, Shelly, I pray for you. I kneel down beside my bed and I pray for you. These people who pray in their homes, not corporate prayer meetings, not praying with five people, praying all by themselves, where the Father in secret sees them, there is a reward waiting for you. When somebody wrongs you, and I mean really wrongs you, and you genuinely cover it up and you reach out in love instead for the glory of God, there is a reward waiting for you, and it is real. You can't deny it where your heart is, There your treasure is, and vice versa. Let's go down to verse 25. Verse 24, actually. No man can serve two masters. Somebody needs to hear this. No man can serve two masters. 
Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and wealth. You can't serve both God and people. You can't serve both God and your career. You can't serve both God and anything else under the sun. There is only one true God. There is only one true Lord. There is only one true Master. And anything else that you hold up and seek to serve is a perversion of the true Master. And it will fail you and it will fall. I'm telling you, you can't serve two masters or three or four or five. You can only serve one master truly. You'll either hate the one, love the other, or hold to the one and despise the other. So listen, you know what this means? You can't come to church and feel good about it and say, I love Jesus, but I love fill in the blank. No. Everything else in your life compared to Jesus ought to appear to be hatred by comparison. You can only hold to one. And when it says you will hold to the one or despise the other, I won't look his way because I don't want to embarrass them. But one thing that I miss that I loved more than anything was when my little nephews, Noah and Jake, were little and they needed me to hold them. You know? I remember one time at Idlewild, it was so hot and Noah was so tired. We'd had such a good day. And he just, that was it. His little legs had given out. And what does he do? Not that my legs hadn't given out, you know what I mean. But he reaches up to me. Or we'd go up to Horseshoe Curve in Altoona and we'd walk so far and so long. And that's it. He was done. He was tired. He reaches up to Aunt Shelley. I remember carrying Noah and Jake sometimes so far for so long. My back hurts so badly. Have you ever been there? I remember my, my fingers literally going numb. And I would keep walking and Noah and Jake would never know it. They'd never know it. I'd keep walking as far as I had to walk. I'd take them through anything. Jesus said, you will hold to the one and despise the other. What you need to do this morning, my friend, is hold to Jesus. See, Aunt Shelley is just a human being. And her back hurts. And her fingers go numb. And she doesn't always know where to take you. But Jesus, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, He never grows weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. See, He knows exactly where to take you. But you've got to hold to Him. Come to Him as a little child. Reach out and reach up your hands to Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I want to hold to you. And He will take you through the valley. And He'll take you over the mountain. And He'll walk you through the storm. And never grow weary. And know exactly where to go. Might not make sense to you. But when you're a child, you trust. He holds you. He says you will hold to the one and despise the other. I want to end this morning on verse 25. This is, this is really critical because here is a verse that is often 
I believe, spoken of out of context. People treat this verse, I don't know if you agree with me, sometimes I think people treat this verse as like a benign little pat the Christians on the head, don't worry verse. Don't worry, be happy. Oh, this is so much deeper than that. Look, Jesus said in light of all the things he's just said to us, he says, therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life. What you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to put on your body. Now, let me just get one thing straight before I go off on this last tangent. Jesus is going to take care of your basic needs. I know that's true. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Don't get me wrong. What I'm getting out in the forefront right here is none of you will ever starve or not have clothing or shelter because Jesus, if he's your Lord, buddy, he's taking care of you. Okay, but that's the basics of Christianity. That's like Christianity 101. Now let's move into college level Christianity. Because I think Jesus was trying to say something much deeper here. He said, don't take thought for these things. In other words, don't use up your life trying to think about food and clothing and your house and stuff. Now, God can bless you with lots of stuff, but the point is, that's not your affection. That's not your drive. That's not your aim. He says, here's, and here's the question we miss. We quote this verse all the time, but look at the question that follows. Jesus says, is not life more than food? And isn't the body more than clothes? Duh. Duh. That's what he's trying to say. We live in a culture that you would think having stuff is everything. It's not. He said, you are wasting your energy and your time watching TV, working way too many hours that you don't need to work, doing all kinds of stuff that you don't need to do to get things that you don't really have to have because that's not what life is about. Some of the most miserable people in the world are people who have a lot of stuff. And I'm going to expound on this verse by closing and taking you to, it's easy to remember, we're in Matthew 6, we're going to go to John 6. John chapter 6. Here it is. What did Jesus mean by isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? There is something so deep about life, you can live with such hope and victory. Life can be awesome. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Life can be awesome. Hey, life, I didn't say life didn't have problems. I said life can be awesome with Jesus. Check this out. John chapter 6. How many of you remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? Wouldn't that have been cool to be there? Jesus just gets done feeding thousands upon thousands of people. And these people are so enamored by what he's done. They've seen him raise people from the dead. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him multiply the food, right? They are so excited about what he's doing that they cross a sea to get to him. Okay, that's what it says in verse 24. When the people saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and they came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. Okay, hold on to your seats. You want to talk about seeker friendly? Okay, these people were seeking for Jesus. You would think, yeah, you would think... 
okay, isn't this what Jesus is going to do then? He's done all these great miracles. He's got people to cross the sea to come find him. Wouldn't you think what he's going to do next is, ah, open his arms, open wide and say, come to me. I'm so glad you're looking for me. Just come on in. Mm -mm. No, 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 no. Jesus looks at the heart of a man or woman. He's not standing there with open arms for anybody that comes down the pike, crosses the sea to find him. And I think some of you maybe in this room have been spinning your wheels trying to chase after Jesus for all the wrong reasons and you've not really found Jesus because your heart's not right to find him. Here's the deal. Jesus did not welcome them with open arms. He saw their heart. Check out what he said. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Verse 26, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not for the right reasons. That's what he was saying. You're not looking for me for the miracles. Other translations say, you seek me not because you saw the signs. See, the miracles that Jesus did when he walked the earth, they were signs. What does a sign do? Lead you to something else. It was pointing people to the fact, listen, Jesus is God. He did miracles to show he's God. You've got to reckon with him. This is not just some guy walking around with some special powers. He performed miracles to show you he's God. Not to make you happy. Jesus doesn't perform miracles to make life easy. I wish I could get people to understand that. He does miracles to show people he is God. And you've got to reckon with him. Amen. So here's what he said. He said, you're not coming to me because you saw the miracles and believe I'm God. Now check this out. He said, You are coming to me. This is the saddest words in the whole Bible, I think. You're coming to me because you were hungry and I put bread in your stomach. That's all you care about. I'm telling you, the saddest words in the Bible. You didn't come to me for the right reason. He says, don't you dare work for meat that perishes. You need to come to the bread of life. This morning, maybe you're sitting there and you think, man, this is crazy. I feel like I've been seeking after Jesus. What Jesus? The Jesus that is God. That's the Jesus. Now look, here's what he said. He said, he went over and he said, verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me have everlasting life. He said, I am the bread of life. And and these people, you know what they said to him? They said, but wait a second, Jesus, we read the Old Testament. And when the Israelites and Moses needed bread, God sent manna in the wilderness. That was food in their stomach. I love what Jesus says. If we could just read the word for what it really means. Look at what he said. He said in verse 49, yeah, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. And what's it say, Veronica? And they're dead. Crazy! I would love to have been there. Jesus is so awesome. He says, yeah, you're right. They ate the manna. God gave the manna. And they're not standing here today. They're dead. In other words, 
your body. If God never gives you what you think you want, He is God. I want to tell you something. Here's something profound. You ready for this? Just listen to this one quiet statement. Think about this. If God heals you today, you're still going to die. If you drive eight Cadillacs, you're still going to die. If you get everything you think you want in life, you're still going to die and have to reckon with God. That's what he meant. He said, I am the bread of life. The great theologian Matthew Henry of the late 17th century said, I believe he said he was the bread of life. One of the reasons he used that is because when we hunger for food, buddy, we're hungry. We go find food. Jesus meant, you better hunger for me. And when you come to me, this is, ama- this is amazing. When you, eat, I don't know how it is, but my mom, my mom's sitting back there and she knows. There was a time I was this big, right, mom? For real? Okay. One time I was really little and now I'm really big. And what made me bigger? The food I ate. It's a miracle. We can't figure it out how that food translates into person. It is a miracle. When you partake of Jesus and his word, he makes you into the new creation. I don't know how it happens, but it happens. Eat the bread of life. Eat the bread of life. Not what's temporary. The God who can save your soul. You've got to reckon with them, my friends. You've got to reckon with the bread of life.